problem is getting on the shelf national with a target as a 12 person team is unbelievably difficult. Like the process from when target says yes to when you're actually on their shelf four months later, the amount of work that happens in that time from a paperwork, insurance, manufacturing, getting your cost stack down to finding your trade spend model, putting your marketing plan together is incredible. It's huge. And to work with a broker who has done that, you know, 12 times in the last quarter with other brands through Target, it brings that achievement level down significantly so that you can do it at our level. Long term, the pitch is always that, okay, yeah, we're 12 person now, but when we're 120 people, you're not going to need those brokers because you're going to have a team sitting in Minneapolis who services that account, blah, blah, blah. And so you're correct. Near term, it, it is a huge burden. And one of the reasons that it's so hard to bootstrap in this space right now. Welcome to Winning at Work, the podcast for foodies, founders, and food and beverage professionals. You know, if you wanted to discover a new brand, a new food or beverage to try, there are literally thousands of companies out there. It is very difficult to do that. That's why we curate the different, the better, and the special brands here each and every week so you don't have to do the heavy lifting. If you're a founder and you're looking to connect with other like-minded executives, we make that very easy. And if you just work in the food and beverage industry and you're looking for fresh inspiration, we have that here in spades. This episode is sponsored by Temple. Congratulations, you're selling in retail. But the competition is fierce and your brand is surrounded by similar products. How will consumers find you? Let Temple show you an innovative retail sales solution. Click on the Attract Consumers link below. Need to attract great employees? Click on the Hire Now below and we'll show you how to use your culture to help you stand out. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. It is Tony. And, you know, it's been a minute since we have found and discovered another different, better and special plant-based organization. And maybe I'll be corrected in that because I know what a lot of what they do is actually through fermentation. But today I have Ben Berman, the co-founder and CEO of Tomorrow Farms. And in addition to creating foods and brands that uh, that are not using harmful or artificial ingredients, uh, ingredients and processes that are very kind to animals and many, many other benefits that we're going to get into. They have launched uh, one of their first kind of primary brands, uh, Bored Cow. It's a milk alternative with real milk protein. Uh, they are using fermentation. Fermentation is really big right now. I'm seeing a lot uh, being done with fermentation. I know we're going to get into that a little bit. And for the foodies out there, we're going to kind of dive in a little bit, understand a little bit more about how this is made. What are some of the ingredients? What are some of the ways that we can use it in our foods? They've got a beautiful website with all kinds of great recipes. And then we will be transitioning into a little bit more about the business. So when you do find it on shelf, you'll be able to understand a little bit more about the people and the vision and some of the ideas and strategies that they're using behind the brand to help you, the consumer, find it. So it's a really fun way to kind of see it all tied in together. Ben, welcome in today, my man. A pleasure to be here, Tony. Thank you for having me. I'm just kind of curious. So Bored Cow, um, kind of a clever... Uh, 
clever name. Like the cows are bored. They, they're not being utilized. They're not being harmed. So they're just sitting around in the field kind of bored. I, I, I guess that's the, uh, the image, right? You're going for there. That's exactly right. We're certainly proud of the product inside of Board Cow, the technology available to be able to create this amazing milk alternative. But we're also pretty proud of the brand itself. And we like to say that from a creative standpoint, we tell a simple story that says cows have been working for us for tens of thousands of years. And more recently, we've forced them into factory farming. What if instead of that, we let them retire and roam free and pursue their passions and maybe even be a little bit bored. What would they get up to? And we've been able to build this character driven universe around what the cows might find themselves doing if they no longer had to work for us to produce milk. Oh my God, that is hysterical. So what do they do? What in this perfect avatar world, what do they do? Each of our flavors has a different character and they are helpfully from my team named, uh, correlating to the first letter of each flavor. So for chocolate milk, that's going to be Clara, the cow. For vanilla milk, that's going to be Val, the cow, and so on. When we when we first set up the universe, we had, I think, you know, different cow names for everyone, and none of us could ever figure out which one was which. And so we solved we solved that problem Iter- with the letter. Right. So use iteration. Okay, good. Now we that's can right. stay, uh, stay on track with it. That's I love right. that. And so for example, Clara, the, the chocolate cow, is a is a skateboarder who's competing in the X games, and Sue, who's our strawberry cow, is a musician who finds herself on stage at Coachella and other big concerts. And it's a fun way to play with some of the uh, brand universe and tell the story of what we're trying to accomplish long term. You know, wow, you just did something super clever there, and I know it was on purpose. Co- <laughs> Coachella is like this incredible, incredible rave, you know, universe that I'll have to admit, uh, you know, my daughter has brought me into that world. <laughs> You know, I kind of come from the generation where it's rock bands and she's like, no, dad, it's we've transitioned. You know, we're not doing that. So I think it's kind of clever that you've taken your cows and you've put them in to the universe of where real your consumers are. Uh, I certainly am too introverted for Coachella as well. Uh, so I, I only know it from from afar. But, you know, we do think about it as a core thesis for our brand creative marketing work as a company, you know, I know we'll get into all of this, but I'll go right at it, which is we have a belief that the legacy CPG conglomerates really can't speak to tomorrow's consumer in a way that next generation brands can. And one of the reasons that we believe there's space for a tomorrow farms in the world right now is you're finding an intersection of technology to really reinvent our favorite foods and an opportunity to rebrand that space to tell more specific, more unique, more customized stories for the future of food. And we believe that we really can tap into that power and that customer base um, today. Yeah, well, and you've obviously started that with just the name of your company, Tomorrow Farms. That already kind of leads you to think, oh, that's kind of interesting. What's wrong with today's farm? And then it kind of takes you into the future. So for the foodie out there, and I've had people ask me, well, what's in it? Okay. If it's, you know, if there is real milk protein, but it's being fermented, maybe kind of high level, walk us through as much as you want to just, you know, how it's made, what are the ingredients? What can we expect when we try this alternative, which tastes like milk? 
That's exactly right. I'll take you on a bit of a tangent if you don't mind. I, you know, I tell folks I did my corporate years in management consulting and I went to business school and I've worked at Amazon, but I've, I've always been in and around food for my career. When I was 18 years old, I started a food truck company up in Portland, Maine, where I grew up called Mainly Burgers. We had three trucks and 16 employees and we got to be on the food network making burgers and sandwiches and sides, homemade ice cream sandwiches and root beer floats and sundaes. During graduate school, I was running this crazy pizza pop-up nonprofit out of my apartment in Philadelphia. I was making I was making 20 homemade pizzas a week on my electric oven on steel plates and lowering them out my window on a pulley system <laughs> to raise money for hunger relief. And ended up going quite viral during that time, raised uh, well into six digits for hunger relief in Philadelphia and, and super proud of that initiative. And one of the founding principles behind Tomorrow Farms and bored cow was, I want to make sure that my grandkids can enjoy those foods that are so central to my life. The burger experience was about cheeseburgers and ice cream, and the pizza was about delicious pizza, which requires cheese. And I wanted to make sure that my grandkids could enjoy chocolate milk and hot dogs and pepperoni and mozzarella cheese and more. And it's becoming clear that they might not have the chance to do so unless we find a better way to make these foods. And so when we think about bored cow, that is the thesis behind it. It's can we make a milk alternative to do it all that also is sort of future proofed, that has a chance to exist long term? Because there's very simple economics. There's a very simple calculation between the land that is available to us and the consumption of dairy products as a planet that is not going to work out long term. And so to answer your question, Tony, the technology behind bored cow is this is a plant-based milk built around a fermentation-derived milk protein. And what that means is we have a milk that looks, feels, tastes, smells, acts, cooks, froths, just like real dairy milk, but has no animal, no lactose, and basically no carbon emissions attached to it. Now, walk through the science briefly. The, the process here is that you are feeding the DNA sequence of cow's milk to yeast, to microflora. And fermenting those microflora just like you would ferment a beer or a loaf of bread or kombucha. It's the process that we've used for a few decades now to make the rennet in our cheese that's in a grocery store or insulin. And at the end of the process, what we're left with in this dairy protein process is you're left with a dairy identical whey protein. A whey protein that is exactly the same as what you would get from traditional cow's milk. But as I mentioned, has no animal, has no lactose, and has basically no carbon emissions attached to it. We like to tell folks that if you were to write an ingredient list for cow's milk, there would be a bunch of stuff that's useless for us and a few things that are useful. We sort of put up with the lactose and the cholesterol and the trace hormones and antibiotics in our traditional dairy milk because we happen to love what comes out of a cow's udder. But we don't need those ingredients. The core building block of real milk really can be brought into this specific protein, this whey protein for milk and a casein protein for cheese. And by isolating that protein and making it through fermentation, we're able to make real dairy products without needing any animal, with using a fraction of the land, using a fraction of the water, emitting a fraction of the greenhouse gas emissions. And that's the opportunity to future-proof these categories long-term. Yeah, and I love what you said there about create a create an ingredient list 
for your traditional milk. And I bet people aren't thinking about all the inputs because you kind of caught me on that one. I was like, wait a minute. If I go back and think about all the additional inputs and imagine if all that was put on the carton, now there's a lot there that I wouldn't want to be consuming. You're not, in, in a way you are consuming it because it's being required to make it and deliver it. Now, of course, you still have to deliver, right? There is still the supply chain, so we can't eliminate that, but it drastically reduces the inputs. And I know we're not really getting into the whole upcycling conversation here, but that is one of the uh, benefits of upcycling, right? As you take all those used credits, right? And turn them into something else. Well, you're eliminating the need to do that. Yeah, when we think about the value of Tomorrow Farms, we think about ourselves as the, the front end for the future of food. And what we mean is there's a pretty amazing tidal wave of, of sort of food technology ready to be commercialized right now. And you need a company that is focused on the commercial infrastructure to bring those products and brands to market. And so upcycling is another good example of some of the technology that's available today. We think about Bored Cow, we think about it now being the largest, most successful animal-free dairy brand in the world. And that's because we believe customers are really ready for next generation products and brands that are better for people, kinder to animals, and easier on the planet. So what is your vision? Yeah, midterm, we're excited about the value of Bored Cow and what we're able to offer customers around the world. We currently have milk in about 1,200 stores across the country. We're launching with some major retailers next year. And there's a whole bunch of amazing SKU development that we're excited to share with folks very soon. New dairy products that shouldn't be too difficult to guess um, that we really can build off of fermentation-derived milk protein. So really excited about where this brand can go and how we can bring more sustainable dairy to people um, in their local grocery stores. But long-term at Tomorrow Farms, we think about building a portfolio of products and brands that, as I mentioned, are better for people, kinder to animals, and easier on the planet. Our goal is to harness the most amazing food technology available right now to reinvent our favorite foods, to bring this full circle for a moment, to reinvent all of those products that I'm sure you and I both grew up loving. And I'm not sure that my grandkids will have a chance to enjoy unless we find better ways to make them. Yeah. You're taking a, a bold look at food and saying, we don't want to eliminate that food. We want to continue it. Yes. That's exactly right. right. And because you're not going to change consumer habits. I, I'm sorry. You're just, you're not. I mean, people want milk. I'm glad people are taking a, a go at it. I really am. I, I think that you'll see some winners in, in this space long term of people who sort of come up with novel new proteins, uh, sources of protein and, and products that people haven't seen before, but find delicious. I think that's one of the promises of the future of food. But we also know just how nostalgic products like Nesquik chocolate milk and Chips Ahoy cookies and Hormel pepperoni and Nathan's hot dogs can be and certainly am to me. And I think that right now is a really pivotal point in our food ecosystem where we have a chance to reinvent those products without losing much from a taste, texture, functionality standpoint. Start to get close to price parity, but build them in ways that are far more sustainable and healthier for humans. Yeah, well, you just said something there that it tastes close and it's got to be really close. So I think it's really wise that you focus on one skew or 
one category, multiple SKUs, and really perfect it. And obviously, looks like you're doing that with Board Cow because if you go to the website and you look, you're in Sprouts, you just launched Hy-Vee, you're expanding, you probably got other retailers now that you're in conversations with to expand that. And let's face it, you've got other companies that have gone before you. When you open up someone's refrigerator, it's like a 50-50 split now between regular milk and alternative. So, Thank goodness, right? You're not having to completely educate your market. A great point. And one of the reasons that we love milk as a category to launch into. You have a large initial customer base that can be pulled from folks that have already made the switch to milk alternatives. And that's a category that we like to be able to play in. When we talk about board cow, we talk about it as the first milk alternative to do it all. And we do that really intentionally. It's something that we think a lot about internally as a team. That milk industry, you know, nationwide, we're doing about $330 billion in milk right this year. 15% of that or close to it is now plant-based milk alternatives. And so you're seeing a growing share of that market that is coming from milk alternatives. And that gives you a really interesting dichotomy to play with about which customers can be your initial customer for a product like Board Cow long-term. We certainly love the idea about being able to transition core dairy milk drinkers to board cow. But near term, we know a lot of early adopters will be folks that have made the switch to oat, almond, et cetera, milk alternatives. So Ben, explain this to me because I've heard statistically like a large percentage of homes now have that dual milk Mm -hmm. and alternative, Mm -hmm. yet the numbers you just gave me, 330 million for the category, 15 million of that is alternative. That's 5%. Where's the disparity? Sure. So 15% of 330 billion is the stat that we use internally. Oh, wait, wait. Is it, wait, it's it's 330. I'm sorry. I said the number wrong. It's 330 billion. Correct. As a national market and 15% of that, you'll see stats that are a little bit lower, but we're going to take the upside case there. 15% of that is coming from milk alternatives. But yes, you'll also see statistics that are showing 50% of households have at least one milk alternative in the refrigerator, et cetera. But when you think about total volume, the vast majority of that market is still going to traditional dairy milk. Okay. And that's helpful because you're also that I imagine that 330 billion would also include food service, commercial, non-commercial. Exactly. Not just retail off the shelf. That's exactly So right. retail, it could be a higher percentage, but when you get into all the other alternative cha- uh, uh, distribution channels, okay, got it. Schools and call it, you know, everything else that goes into that market. That's yeah. Exactly okay. Right. Okay. That's perfect. That's perfect. Um, <clears throat> so you've done something that I think is pretty remarkable Because I I probably talk to, I don't know, 200 plus brands a year. Not all of them do we bring on the podcast. We just don't have time. Um, And I'm kind of waiting for them to make that next step, that next move to be a little bit bigger than just maybe where they're at. And you're doing something that many have not already done, and that's you're growing. You've got sustainable revenue, enough to build out a functioning team. I was looking through your team, and you've done this. Um, can you just kind of walk us through some of your, your early phases of growing and scaling and how you got to that point of realizing we need to start hiring and maybe what those first couple hires were that you thought were so critical to keep sustaining the growth? I, I appreciate the compliment. Thank you. 
uh, I started the company uh, spring of 2021 with a thesis around milk, an opportunity that I thought might be there to build out a larger portfolio of products, but unsure about what that might look like long term. And started to scope out what the market for this milk alternative might be. First hire I made is Luke, who's our creative director today. And that was really based on a thesis that that was not one of my strongest suits. That I could I could be dangerous and creative, but I needed somebody who was really sharp in that space, who really spent all of their time thinking about messaging and could zero in on color palettes. I remember going through processes early on with some creative folks and they'd show you something and go, oh, that's really cool. And they'd show you something else and you go, that's also really cool. And you sometimes like, need somebody. Like, how can, can I decide? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I sort of like everything and want to do everything. And so first hire was Luke. He came on to lead a lot of our creative vision. And him and I, we stood up the board cow brand together. And I remember being in the meeting with Luke when we were going through our first set of cow characters and seeing the very rounded cows that are on the cart today. And both of us having the aha moment of, oh, that's it. We can see exactly how that brand evolves and how that can speak to the product that we're building. And then we started to think about the manufacturing process and the supply chain and the freight and the fulfillment, how you get this into the stores and said, oh, this also is not a place where I, I think I'm the smartest person in the room on this. And so went out and started to talk to some folks about this, got connected to Rich, who leads our ops team today, who was at Harry's at the time, leading a lot of their operations work. And it was clear that that was the right person to plug into the work that we needed to do on the manufacturing freight fulfillment side of things. Our team has generally evolved like that. It said, okay, I, I think I can do a lot of these things well, but I want to make sure that I'm hiring myself out of a lot of these roles, that we're finding people who are better than me at doing a lot of these core aspects of what we're trying to accomplish at the company. And we've grown to 12 full-time people over the last year to support the growth of Board Cow and beyond. And I'm happy to say that I think every one of them is better at their job than I would be if I did it myself. I think that should be the goal of every hiring manager and every executive at every country is how can you hire people who are in environments where they are thriving, doing the thing that they like to do most at work, learning, growing quickly in their role. And my role is my job is just to find ways to empower them to do that work well. Yeah. And forces you to trust and lean on them. And of course, that makes for a strong team when they have purpose, when they know the accountability is with them and they can't really slough it off to somebody else. So you're also inherently building a lot of um, value into their role because, hey, there's no one else that can do it as well as you. So you've got to step up. I want to talk a little bit about some of your marketing findings. Now, I know this may not be your absolute sweet spot. You probably have someone on staff that does this, but I'd be kind of curious uh, with your retail footprint that you now have, can you kind of walk us through what has worked for you guys in terms of getting consumers into trial? Um, maybe, you know, building community, because it looks like you're doing that too online. You've got mm -hmm. a pretty big, you got a pretty big Instagram page. Yeah, you've got lots of recipes. You're sh so you're obviously finding ways to connect with people. So what's what's been working? Because I know that's like the number one thing mm -hmm. brands, you know, struggle with. It's not enough just to get on shelf. We're fortunate that we have a product that people really love once they try it. 
we have a very difficult challenge in front of us of trying to explain animal-free dairy milk, which up until the point that we launched this product was an oxymoron. And we've had numerous, you know, countless conversations with customers who are sort of upset with that phrasing because up until now, you couldn't have a product that was both animal-free and dairy. This is the first time that we've been able to produce animal-free dairy proteins. And so we have this very fun, exciting challenge where we know that we just get, need to get customers to try it. Once they do, it's easy to recognize that bored cow is going to taste better, be more functional, be more nutritious than whatever they're drinking today. And so repeat purchase rates are really, really strong. To go back to your question about growing the team and able to get up over this hump that so many brands struggle with, it's because we have a product that people are coming back for that's yes. really novel, that has a great brand, et cetera. And so most of our marketing activities are really focused on getting people to try the product on shelf. There's two ways that we think about that. The first is in store, how do we influence people at the time of their purchase decision? Now, we love demoing. Demos are never going to scale to the size that you need to be successful long term. But to grow our initial category, we love being in store, talking to customers, giving out samples. That is the easiest way to get somebody to buy a carton of board cow, give them a taste of it, and they almost always are going to purchase one to take home. But we also spend a lot of time thinking about that point of sale opportunity with what we're doing on carton, offering coupons, getting people in store, and actually getting them to, to, to purchase product that way. The other side of things is when we think about category awareness and sort of general brand awareness so that they might go into the store actually looking for board cow. And so that's where a lot of these recipe communities that you're talking about, amazing content that we think we produce on TikTok and Instagram to get people to engage with the brand, uh, collaborations with other brands so that you're sort of cross-selling into different customer bases. Opportunities like that can drive a lot of those top of funnel marketing opportunities as well. So let's go back to your comment about demos. And I think most people would agree getting liquid to lips is a great strategy. Now, there's been a lot of debate on whether or not it's it's got a good ROI doing the demos, but I want to set that aside because there's I don't think there's one right answer on that. So when you're talking about demos, are you using a third-party agency that helps you with brand, brand ambassadors, or are you trying to cultivate your own brand ambassadorship? Talk to me, talk, talk to us about that. Sure. We've done it both ways. You know, when we launched into Sprouts in April, you've got 380 stores across the country and a team of 12 people all located in New York City. It's not <laughs> that easy to service those stores with your own people and doing demos. Uh, a lot of these retailers are going to have specific agencies that they work with for demos who understand their process, who hopefully know the store managers who have been there, done that before and can make that a seamless process. Now, we also love being there in store. Jennifer, who leads our marketing team, she did what we called Project Sunshine State when we launched into Sprouts. And she visited 22 of them across the state of Florida in about four days. It was more driving than I hope anyone on my, on my oh, team ever God, has to do again. Tons of windshield time. It's a lot of windshield time. But it's an incredible example of the links that really brands need to go to to connect to customers. Right, That was invaluable time for Jennifer, who leads marketing, to be able to talk to real customers in stores, to talk to store managers, to give samples to the people at checkout at Sprouts and get them to understand what Board Cow is and become fans of our products. 
you can just go a little bit further in a one-on-one relationship when you're doing it yourself. And you can go a little bit further when it comes to scaling the opportunity when you work through a third party. Right. You get the scale through the third party, but you are missing that one-to-one boots on the ground, direct guerrilla marketing feedback that Jennifer was getting. I'm sure she came back with a huge aha. Like That's exactly right. This is what they said to me. I remember when I first started my, I, this was a little a few years ago, I, I, I was running my own um, executive search and staffing company, and I had given the name to it Jobtopia. Um, I had taken some time, you know, and I kind of came up with it. I still own the name because I love the, love the name. But I said that to someone, I just said Jobtopia, and she blurted out, that's exactly what I want. Mm. And that became our tagline. So you don't, you don't get those kind of experiences unless you're interacting with people. They, she probably brought back so much information that I bet has filtered into her, her editing, her copy, her messaging. It has to. So I want to go back to the, uh, okay, so brand ambassadors or using agencies. Okay, fine. You've tried that. What about um, affiliates? Marketing affiliates, are you familiar with marketing affiliates? What's your, mm-hmm. what's your take on having affiliates create content and publish it and, you know, encourage people to go buy and then they get a cut of it? A fascinating, difficult to navigate world that doesn't have a lot of standards quite yet. What I mean is I don't think that that market has become fully rational when it comes to uh, rates and return on those rates. I think that uh, you can find some real gems and you can get overcharged quite quickly. But I think that that space is starting to move to a more rational equilibrium very, very quickly. We don't do a lot of affiliate work with partners taking cuts, but we do do a lot, quite a bit of influencer work to build category and brand awareness. Um, we even have influencers that have become investors in our company to have some equity align incentives long term. And we believe that this next generation of products, food and beyond, is going to really rely on telling smart stories across social media platforms. And you'll see brands, many that we look up to, who do it really well on company-owned platforms, right? There's the canonical examples of brands like Duolingo, who just do an exceptional job of building community and telling stories on their own pages. And you'll see other brands that really lean into affiliate and paid influencer work to drive that content. As an early stage brand, we are still trying to find our path through all of that. I think this will be no surprise. In food, the margins are not going to be there to be able to launch huge influencer campaigns like a beauty company or a credit card company might be able to. And so our goal is always to try to bring some numbers, some science to a very unscientific space right now, which is let's take a lead on storytelling, on content creation, on community building, test lots of things and double down on the spaces that we're seeing success. Yeah, because user generated content is so authentic and so genuine. And when someone can just see them making a protein shake yes. or turning turning bored cow into this delicious uh, homemade ice cream or yes. something it's like it, obviously it's it's milk you can use it 
<laughs> why, like, why do people need recipes? Exactly but, right. but it's telling you it can be used everywhere. So I think when someone sees someone cooking and making something with it, it just takes it to a whole nother level. Um, I'm fascinated by it. Honestly, I, I think the, I, I just feel like that is the way to go. Thank you. You've got all the recipes there. And I just feel like there's that, that other piece that could develop over time is maybe it's the affiliate, maybe it's the ambassador and they click one button and everything filters into their Shopify account. Amazing how much progress we've seen in that space. Even recently, the number of videos that I scroll through on TikTok that have a buy in feed type option now seems to be accelerating quite quickly. You know, all of these questions, Tony, are the ones that I think all brands are struggling with right now. And the brands that are most successful have largely figured out this equation, or I should say, have something that works for them. We generally believe that there's not a one size fits all here. It's very brand and product specific. It's about how to reach your customers with the product that you are selling. And that is one of the things that every day we spend a lot of time as a team trying to figure out how can we best reach the customers that we think will love board cow the most. I think you ought to send like your uh, your marketing team out to farms just to interview cows. I think that's great. I think there's some tremendous content. I mean, there's a cow laying on the ground. You know, there's a board cow. There's a board cow right there. Let's go talk to her. You know, and do a voiceover. I just think there's so many opportunities with, with cows. Um, Ben, I think there's so many uh, avenues that you can go with this. Um, It's just exciting to see, uh, really, a young emerging brand that's you know scaling rather quickly. That is, it's fun to find that. So, for consumers and for foodies who want to go out and try this, what's the best way for them to? discover the brand and discover some of the retailers that they could find this in on shelf. Thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate it. And so glad to always have a chance to share our story. If people want to find us, best way is to go check out our website at tryboardcow.com. You can read more about the product. You can check out the recipes that Tony's been mentioning. And you also can see our store locator so that you can find a store near you. We're an amazing group of retail partners across the country that grows every single day. Go to the website, type in your address, find the nearest store to you. And if there's nobody near you right now, let us know so that we can get in in local stores soon. And B, products up and available for sale on our website so you can ship some directly to your house. Um, I can tell you right now, there is not any in North Carolina. So this is my call out right now. The only place we have near us is in Ingalls. So... I don't know the status of Ingles off the top of my head, but uh, don't any worry. mail is being sent as we speak, I, Tony, to make it happen. <laughs> I, I'm in a food desert, so don't, it's we're just in a bad spot. So, but I just throw it out there. I throw. <laughs> I, I mentioned exactly, exactly. Uh, ben, it's been it's been an honor, a pleasure to talk to you again and to kind of get a look inside. And I guess we need just need to stay tuned for the next uh, fermentation product, right? I had a lot of fun, Tony. Yes, please stay tuned. A lot more to come from not only Board Cow, but also the team at Tomorrow Farms. We're excited to reinvent pantry and refrigerator staples, to reinvent our favorite foods, and can't wait to share more with everyone very soon. Awesome. Well, we'll see you again soon, and maybe we'll do a live stream, and we'll uh, take a look at those cows in you know live. That that maybe that's it. <laughs>
<laughs> We'd love that. Anytime you want. All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Tony.